This episode is sponsored by Grow Therapy. Grow Therapy was founded on the belief that quality mental health care should be accessible. It makes finding an in-network therapist easy. Go to growtherapy.com to find your match and let insurance pay for your therapy. Welcome to a place where you'll leave feeling whole. The Counseling Podcast brings at-home counseling right to you, focusing on self-care, self-expression, and breaking down barriers. Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes bring over 20 years of combined experience and a new sense of style to the word counseling. The two use humor and lighthearted conversation to explore these deeper feelings. Let's take the stigma away from counseling together. From the Counseling Podcast, we have another special guest with us today speaking about post-COVID depression and anxiety. Hello, Dr. Caroline Tomlinson. Please introduce yourself to our listeners and where they can find you. Hi, um, my name is Dr. Caroline Tomlinson, and I am a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner based out of uh, DFW area, um, Arlington, Texas. You can find me, my website is www.kempsyc.com or Kemunto Psychiatric Solutions, LLC, if you Google it. Um, Office-wise, located on 1301 South Bowen Road, uh, Suite 470 in Arlington, Texas. Perfect. And we're going to speak about post, post-depression and anxiety um, after COVID. And so tell us about what you've been um, learning about and what you've been sharing with your own um, clients in practice. Sure. So I noticed that, you know, a lot of people mainly focus when they hear COVID, what's the first thing that comes to mind? They think about shortness of breath, breathing, just respiratory problems. But I've noticed, you know, there's a huge concern about, you know, mental health and how people's mental health have been affected. Because if we remember, a lot of people lost their jobs during COVID. Um, A lot of people had businesses that were thriving and they just went to zero, you know. So there've been a lot of struggles financially that have led to um, depression and anxiety, even for those who never suffered from COVID. But If you look at the population that suffered from COVID, um, it's interesting because uh, some studies reveal that a third of these patients have suffered from what is called brain fog. You know, you'll hear patients telling me sometimes, you know, since I recovered from COVID, I'm confused most of the times. I have this brain fog I can remember. And just because of that, that alone makes them feel depressed. It makes them feel anxious because they cannot perform to the level they were before this affected them. So I've seen a lot of people suffer from that. They'll tell you that either they have headaches that don't seem to go away they come and go, or they have brain fog and confusion. And some of these patients are in their 30s, 40s, so it's not like they have dementia or anything. They just suffered from COVID, and these are some of the after effects. And all of that really can affect your um, everyday daily um, routine, because if you're having trouble with just doing what you normally did, it can bring on probably extra anxiety, or a depressed mood because you're like, oh, I'm not feeling the way I, I used to. I can't function at the same level 
And yeah. something that's medical can definitely impact your, your mental as well. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so when, um, when patients come in to see you with this presenting uh, issue, um, Dr. Tomlinson, how do you, how do you approach that? If you know that it's maybe, cause I guess there's no way to know for certain if it's necessarily COVID related, but I'm sure there's many instances and cases where there's probably a high correlation. How do you go about approaching that and treating that condition, brain fog and things of that nature? Okay. So usually if a patient comes to me and they complain about, okay, I'm having this brain fog, I can't think, or my memory has been affected. So part of my screening will be, you know, during COVID, did you contract COVID and, you know, go through the whole screening tools, use my PHQ-9 and GAD-7 just to see where they fall on the scale. So if it's something related to, um, you know, where they're having severe headaches and it's really impacting part of their life, then usually I refer them to go get a CAT scan or an MRI to see just how bad it is, you know. And if it's mild cases where they're just telling me, okay, I'm really starting to have panic attacks because I can't function. So my first, the first thing I usually do is usually refer them to therapy because, you know, some patients don't just like, taking medication. And for me too, sometimes I feel if therapy can help, why medication first? So I'd refer them to therapy first. And if they feel that, okay, I've tried therapy for a while now, I'm still not coping. Then now maybe I can suggest, you know, a low dose antidepressant or a low dose anti-anxiety to help them during these times. I think that's so important. I, I, I like how you, you know, you really go to the biological basis first with getting a brain scan to figure out, Hey, is there something, is there something that perhaps we can see? Um, but then yes. also trying the psychotherapeutic approach after that to, you know, yes. to try to avoid medication if possible, and then being able to come in and utilize medication if necessary. So it sounds like you have a whole process that you utilize with these patients. Yes. And is there um, a specific age you're seeing this particularly with, or is it, you know, kind of all a big range? Um, I think most of the patients I'm actually seeing these are patients in their 30s and 40s. And um, you can understand why it's very frustrating for them because these patients that feel like I still have a lot of my life ahead of me and I can't function, like um, this is slowing me down. I've had patients to the point where they can't work. You know, they're now, they've gone to someone who used to, work and now they're on disability because they can't work. They can't think straight. They can't do simple tasks such as even balancing a checkbook. And it's very frustrating, you know, and as mental health providers, you know, I usually tell some of my colleagues, this is where the non-judgmental zone comes in because a patient is looking up to you for help. And, you know, sometimes a provider, as you're looking at a patient and thinking, okay, um, you're still 30 and 40, why can't you do this? You know, and when you do that and pass judgment, that's why it interferes with even their, their growth or trying to heal from what has happened. So um, 30s and 40s age bracket, that's where I'm mostly seeing it. Um, and 
Then when it comes to the geriatric age, I'm not seeing a lot of it because sometimes it's not a clear-cut distinction. Some of them are already suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's. And then when this happens, you can't tell whether did COVID cause this or was this happening prior to you even having COVID. But um, it's really concerning for those who are in that age bracket because they're, this is when they feel like I'm trying to work and save for my kids or for my family, and now this is trying to set me back. <clears throat> and as the professional, kind of we have that um, responsibility to, to encourage them to kind of have that self-motivation. So kind of, you know, don't let COVID or the symptoms you're having stop you of more of, like you're saying, yes. you know, you're in your prime and maybe we can find ways to help you to kind of get back on track. How, yes. how do you do that with them? Are there things that tasks that you do with them? Yes. Yeah, so some of the things, um, some of the advice I've given these patients is, you know, um, the first thing I tell them is try to establish a consistent routine. So for example, if you are someone who woke up in the morning and did yoga or you meditated or tried to walk before you started your day, you know, try to put it down on a journal and stay consistent to it. That way, if you feel like, okay, my mind's just telling me to sit down and relax, you know, just try to push yourself. You know, if you used to work maybe walk five miles, maybe try one mile first and kind of build up to the five miles again because you're not at that point where you can quickly go back to five miles. So just start slowly, be consistent, and then set realistic goals to try to get back where you were. And we start that by just establishing a consistent routine whereby you can get yourself active and do the things that you used to love doing. And you... Do you feel like they're, um, some of the clients are feeling almost alienated from other people because if, you know, COVID because of it's being new and everything, and um, if they have it, a lot of maybe other people didn't go through what they went through. So they're feeling like they can't relate to other people or other people can't relate to them. Do, do you see that of like, you know, I'm feeling um, isolated or I don't feel like I can compare myself to other people because they don't know what I'm going through or they lack that validation? Yes, I see that a lot. Um, the isolation from COVID itself was bad for everyone. I think you guys can relate to because at that time we were not able to mingle, even with our family members, like holidays, you know, were not as meaningful like before because you were held up in your house alone, mm -hmm. you know, and you couldn't go anywhere. So just think about these patients in this context. First, they were isolated. Then they contracted COVID. Now they feel like they can't even relate because not everybody suffered from COVID. So they might try to vent their frustration to someone who never got COVID and is not really understanding what they're saying. And I'll give a very good example. Um, one of my very good, uh, one good friends and a colleague as well, um, you know, she was confiding about having these headaches that have persisted post-COVID, you know, had a mild case of it. It wasn't even a severe case. And then, you know, now has these constant headaches, doesn't know what to do, is on medications, they're not helping, you know. So when she tells you that and maybe you've not had it, 
you know, clearly you wouldn't pretty understand, you know, what she's going through. So they feel very alienated. And most of the times, even when they're talking to professionals, professionals might not understand because maybe they didn't go through it. Or maybe they did and don't have that symptom, you know. And that's got to be the challenge of this is that we're still just trying to figure this whole thing out, right? And you mentioned kind of the different the different symptom presentation and different people and different age brackets. And, you know, you made a really valid point about that 30 to 40 year old bracket of people who are working, their parents often they've got, you know, sometimes they're taking care of their parents and their children, the, the sandwich generation, we call it. Right. And so there's exactly. much going on and it's trying to identify with each patient, all of these uh, subjective, unique experiences after this pandemic, I'm sure it's just, it's a tough thing to do. It is, it is. And it's affected the community in a very big way. Yeah. So just the, I, I really like the holistic uh, approach that it sounds like you have. And it also sounds like you have a very tailor fit approach and that you, uh, that you meet patients where they are specifically. I'm curious, how, why, why and how has that been conducive for you um, in working with each individual from, from that unique perspective to meet their own needs? versus kind of an umbrella approach. Yes. Uh, the reason why I, you know, use the patient-centered approach, because I feel each individual is unique. And I feel like if you have a standard plan of care of how to treat everybody, it's not going to work. Because, for example, you might come to me and you tell me, okay, Dr. Tomlinson, I'm depressed. I can't get out of bed. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I can't think. Okay, so she might, Dr. J might come to me and tell me, hey, um, I'm depressed, but I'm still functioning. You know, I still can eat. I still can. But maybe I just can't concentrate on my work, you know. So if I treat you both the way, the same way, it's not going to work because I have to look at you from the point of, okay, you can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't think. So I have to find a plan of care that will help you get motivated, eat, be able to eat again, be able to function again. And her plan of care would be, okay, how can I help her? You know, she's still functioning, but she can't concentrate. Now, let me help her fix that part so that she can be whole again. So, and it's the same way. You can't treat an adolescent the same way you treat an adult, the same way you treat a geriatric, because everybody, our bodies function different. Um, and that's what I tell people. Even when choosing a type of medication, you might react differently to it than Dr. J. You know, for example, um, Zoloft might make you tired, sleepy, can't think, maybe make you a zombie. But with her, she tells me, oh, wow, it has lifted my mood. It's, I'm feeling great. You know, so as providers, um, very important to treat each individual uniquely. You know, meet everyone at their point of needs, know what their primary area of concern is, and then formulate a plan from there. Yeah. And then add, absolutely. And then adding in the complexity that everybody kind of went through this pandemic in a different yes. way, right? Everybody, I mean, even though there yeah. was some universal things that we all experienced, the lockdown, the, the fear, the paranoia about what was going on, but, mm -hmm. but, you know, also we all sort of had our own personal experiences. And so as, as mental yes. health providers, we've got to be able to identify those specific needs post pandemic as well. 
Yes. And the thing is, you know, COVID has affected everybody in one way or another, you know, like others have lost their jobs, but the healthcare industry seemed to do well at that time because they're the only people who could work because they needed healthcare. But then also look on, on the other side of the coin, healthcare workers are burnt out, you know, like they're so burnt out. A lot of people have left the field, you know, so COVID has affected. And I was looking at a study that said uh, there was a study especially done on U.S. veterans that was post uh, published um, in BMG that said, you know, um, having COVID gave you a uh, high risk of developing mental illness like a year down the road. Mm. So um, how accurate is that? I guess that's yet to be found, but we can see the effects are still happening till today. COVID happened like two years ago, and this is two years later. I think a lot of people are even committing suicide because they just can't deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know. I'm seeing a really big, I work with a lot of families and adolescents, and I, I've yes. seen a huge impact on kids, uh, particularly kids, yes. you know, like kids who maybe their junior and senior year was when this whole thing started, right? So now they're starting exactly. college, having yes. been on lockdown for a year or two, depending on where they're located in the country, and sort yes. of having lost that functioning of that socialization functioning that they were so used to. So I've really exactly. seen it impact our youth in a very yes. specific way. In a very big way, yes. So it sounds like really, you know, you're kind of working on finding people's triggers, you know, what specifically to them is adding to their anxiety, depression, giving them those, those coping skills, Mm -hmm. um, allowing them to understand, you know, just kind of that, find that self-soothing, self-motivation. Is there there anything else you think is really important um, to share? Yes. Yes. I think, um, One other thing that I share with my patients and I can share with the listeners is it's very important to maintain social connections, especially now, Um, because um, during COVID and the lockdown, everybody suffered from social isolation. Some of the depression and anxiety we see came from that isolation. And now that things are opening back up again, you know, it's very important for people to maintain social connections, whether it's a friend, whether it's a family, you know, whether you're going out of the house just for a few minutes to talk with a friend, walk out with a friend, grab a bite with a friend, it's just important to maintain that connection. Because remember, when we isolate, that's when we have all these dark thoughts and negative thoughts and we start thinking, you know, life's not worth it. But, you know, just going out might make you find a reason, you know, to try and get back to your normal routine or try and laugh with friends. You know, just maintaining that social connection is very good. You know, another thing I'd also tell the listeners is that, you know, any physical, because sometimes people might think, okay, this headache or this physical symptom might go away. If you find it's still not going away, it's bothersome, it's interfering with your life, then please, please, please seek medical attention. 
you know, some of the things don't just go away. And when we um, try to manage by ourselves, we find we get into, we run into more challenges, you know, so it should not be, you know, people should not shy off from seeking a, a medical help, um, maintaining connections, and then taking precautions, you know, um, you know, right now, sometimes I look around and I feel that people think COVID is gone, <laughs> but, you know, it's still there. We might not talk about it right now because there's still a lot of issues going on. So sometimes even just maintaining precautions when you go out to a large crowd and just still being careful at the end of the day because COVID is still part of our life. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just because it's not something that is maybe <laughs> front and center as it was, it doesn't yes. mean that this is all just just passed on, right? This is something that yes. we still have to be have to be mindful of. And I think mindful of in terms of safety precautions, but also psychologically, uh, and, and I love the idea mm. of you mentioning the social piece. I think that's such a big issue. And I've seen that in a lot of my a lot of my patients as well. And you had mentioned you had mentioned sort of the the downtick um, in social interaction. And I had noted that I really noticed that in kids, but I see that in adults as well. I mean, in mm -hmm. fact, I was working with a family and, um, you know, they have some uh, loved ones who are still not completely comfortable with um, yes. family engagements as they were at one point. And so, um, yes. you know, it's being able to encourage people to uh, reintegrate those things in their life, but in a safe, healthy way is what I'm hearing. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Dr. Tomlinson, it was an absolute pleasure having you uh, here oh, today. Oh, it was a pleasure. It uh, was a pleasure. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, Dr. Stokes. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us here today on the Counseling Podcast with Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes. Please take this time to thank yourself for putting in the work. If this episode impacted you in any way, let us know with a loving and honest review. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation from today, you can reach out to us at thecounselingpodcast at gmail.com and we can answer your questions right here on the show. Or you can find Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes on Instagram at docjacqueline and at Dr. Jeremiah Stokes.